Well, we did it again. We're here. We're here. It's a Super Bowl Sunday, and your Kansas City Chiefs are in the game because of me. I am lucky. Oh, my goodness. I wear that shirt, and they win. I don't have the shirt on because I want to prove to you when I don't wear it, they lose. How risky, huh? How risky. I didn't wear it because it's church, all right? I've read a book recently called How to Alienate People, and I'm <laughs> practicing and practicing. Speaking of alienating people, what annoys you? I'm so sorry. I should have said that. That's a rhetorical question. I know I, I kicked it open, but people are annoying. I agree. People are annoying, but... What's a thing that just drives you crazy? Walker Percy, the writer Walker Percy, uh, said this about writers. He said, a writer is someone who is marooned in their own cortex. Someone who's stuck in their head. What gets you stuck in your head? I have a friend, what annoys him, it, this is real, he gets annoyed when people say, how are you doing in social settings? You're like, what? I don't know. It's because you're walking around, someone's like, hey, how are you? And he's like, you don't care. You do not care. I'm awful. Now what? So it really annoys him. Really annoys him. And I know this. And when we're together, and people are like, ah, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? I just watch him like, should I say anything? Do I not say anything? And it ruins the next few minutes of our interaction, me and him. I have another friend who's very annoyed at the Super Bowl. He hears stats like this from the National R Retail Federation. I didn't know there was such a thing, but they put out this number that it's estimated, it's estimated, again, there's no real way to measure this. It's estimated that each U.S. household spends $86.04 on average on the Super Bowl, which would make that $17.3 billion. That Americans spend $17.3 billion. There's no real way to measure that. All right, did you buy those red and yellow M&Ms yesterday because of Chinese New Year and the Year of the Dragon? Shiri and Kwaila, my favorite holiday. Or did you buy those red and yellow M&Ms because it's the Super Bowl? How do you measure that? It's very difficult. And so my friend gets so frustrated, like, man, we got real problems. Poverty. Poverty in America. You know, we haven't changed the number that we go by that makes you poor. We they say, okay, if you make this amount of money, you're below the poverty line. That number hasn't been adjusted really since LBJ. And so there's a lot more people in poverty than that we even acknowledge. And so $17.3 billion. Are you kidding me? Really annoys him. And there's other people that are like, man, I'm just trying to watch a game. I'm just trying to watch a game. It's kind of annoying that you make this about justice. Like, can't we just get together and watch football? It's so annoying. What annoys you? What drives you crazy? Anger, being annoyed, is great for identifying problems. It is not always great at solving problems. I don't believe it's a sin to be angry. I don't believe it's a sin to be annoyed. The question then becomes, well, what do we do with those things? We have a few options. We can either take ownership or we can get passive. We can either take ownership. We say, okay, this is the situation I'm in. 
There are things in my world which frustrate me. They annoy me. What can I do? Or, hey, these things annoy me, and I, oh, I'm going to catalog this again under that not my problem category and just watch. This morning we're going to look at a passage that says, if we don't have a good shepherd, passivity is a really good option. Passivity becomes a great option if we don't have a good shepherd. But we do have a good shepherd. And he invites us into a process called ownership. We, uh, you just heard Troy say we're in this year where our, our priority is spiritual formation. We want, what does that mean? We want to spontaneously respond to the things life throws at us with the character of Jesus. That's spiritual formation. That's the goal. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. A few months later, uh, one of his disciples is being stoned to death. They're throwing rocks at him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's spontaneously responding with the character of Jesus. When things annoy us, when things frustrate us, when things just aren't as they should be, our disappointments, our frustrations, how do we respond with the character of Jesus? We call that process of getting there spiritual formation. And it's very important you hear me say, that's a process. Nobody arrives there and is like, all right, I'm perfectly responding like Jesus. Why can't you all get it together? I did that last year. Last year was my year where I figured it out. Hopefully you get there too. We're in process. And we've identified eight markers, eight characteristics we think of maturing followers of Jesus. Maturing. People in that process. We never arrive and able to look down our noses at others. And one of those, one of those characteristics we're going to talk about today is ownership. What does ownership look like in the way of Jesus? When we encounter things that aren't as they should be, when we encounter frustrations, when we encounter disappointments, how might those be invitations to follow our good shepherd in owning these things? We get victimized all the time. But we're not victims. Life does not go the way we want it to. People hurt us. Bad things happen to us. How do we not respond with passivity? Just go, this is hard, I'm out. How do we truly own what Jesus might be inviting us to own? Our passage today, I think, identifies the five, the five ups of ownership. There are five invitations in our passage that we, can, that we can show up with and experience ownership. Because we see a good shepherd who does just that. He's sent by his father on a rescue mission. And it doesn't go well. He came to his own and his own didn't receive him. And he doesn't just throw up his hands. He moves in deeper. He leans in. And the question is, as people who are following him, what would that look like for us? When we, when we encounter life's disappointments, when we encounter frustrations, what does it look like? What might the invitation be to lean in? If you have a Bible, we're going to read about this in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we are going to be in verses 11 through 21. John 10, 11 through 21. What does ownership look like in the way of Jesus? And if you get there, would you please stand with me as we read God's word? John 10, 11 through 21. 
Here we go. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. Does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down my life of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, uh, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we want to show up. Passivity is a good option. When there's conflict, when we don't know what to do, just take our hands, throw them up, and stop. But God, passivity is only a good option if you're not a good shepherd. God, help us to experience the good shepherd to hear your invitation, what might it be that you're inviting us to own? Ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're talking about ownership. Ownership in the way of Jesus. What do we mean when we say ownership? What exactly are we talking about? Well, here's what I mean when I say ownership. Ownership is this. Stewarding our responsibilities with heartfelt dedication. Stewarding. That implies a relationship. When we own things in the kingdom of God, we are stewarding them. Why? Because they've been given to us by God. So we don't get to like just write things down willy nilly. Boom, this is how it is. I get to create my own reality. We're stewarding things. And we're stewarding our, our responsibilities with heartfelt dedication. God's not just saying, hey, here's a hoop, jump through it. And if you jump through it, you get a prize at the end. God's after the inner work, our transformation. If we're going to respond with the character of Jesus, if, we're going, if that's going to be our reaction. When we, when we meet people who don't respond to us kindly and we respond to them with grace and forgiveness, and that, that's got to come from the heart. And that takes a work. It takes a work in us. Jesus lays out what he's talking about with ownership by kind of comparing and contrasting. This is the only parable that Jesus tells in John's Gospels. If you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, you know that he often spoke in parables. Parables would be like when you compare things, it's also a riddle, that's another way to say a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. You're like, what? What does that mean? And you have to think about it. It engages the right side of your brain, creativity. Jesus is saying, hey, what, what is following Jesus like? Well, I'm like a shepherd. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I live in the Midwest, but I don't, I'm not, I don't know any shepherds. What does that mean? And he starts to explain that. 
And last week he compared and contrasts shepherds and thieves. There are people who feed and there are people who feed off. He takes that analogy and he keeps working it through. He keeps, he keeps meditating on it. Now he's talking about shepherds and hired hands. He's talking about someone who owns and someone who's like, yeah, I'm just here. Someone who's passive. And that's the comparison Jesus wants us to think about. Ownership versus passivity. What does it look like to steward what God has handed us with ownership, with heartfelt dedication? To say, okay, this is what God has put in my path. What's he inviting me to do? And a way that we can recognize those invitations is through anger. What annoys you? What bugs you? Because what annoys you may not annoy me. And God might be inviting you, hey, this bothers you because you see this isn't as it should be. Families don't talk to each other that way. And so it annoys you. Yeah, we work in a place and we, we're slowly siphoning money from our customers and that annoys you because that's not how it should be. Things that annoy us, we need to pay attention to because there might be an invitation in that frustration. Anger is really good at identifying problems. It's not the best at solving them. And so how can we, how can we live in this contrast of like, hey, Jesus is inviting us to follow him, to do what he does. We don't just read the Gospels and hear the stories about Jesus and be like, oh, he's inviting us in this way of life. That sounds really hard. Good thing he died on the cross. We're good to go. He's, He's also our example. He is our Savior and Lord, absolutely. And he's our teacher and friend. And the way he lived, he's inviting us into that lifestyle. The way of Jesus was what the early disciples called Christianity. Practicing the way. If you read the book of Acts, Christians, that word, doesn't come up until way later. It was all practicing the way. The way Jesus lived is the way I want to live. And so we see this good shepherd comparing ownership and passivity. And he gives us five ups. Five things we can do to steward what God has entrusted us. First up, give up. You're like, wait a second. Sometimes church feels like school and I didn't do very well in school. I was thinking about the Simpsons. I thought I heard you earlier say that we need ownership, right? Like, so God's put things in our hands and we need to, with a heartfelt dedication, see those things through. And then I think I just heard you say, the first step to do that is giving up. Man, I don't know about this. This feels a little confusing. Parker Palmer, I think, helps us with this. Parker Palmer is a great Quaker theologian. Here's what he says. The opposite of an ordinary fact is a lie. However, the opposite of one great truth may be another great truth. What does he mean by that? If I were to say to you, tonight, the Baltimore Ravens are playing the Detroit Lions in the Super Bowl. That is not true. That is the opposite of an ordinary fact. That would be a lie. But one great truth, Jesus invites us into ownership. To really say like, hey, I'm going to own. I'm not going to just be a passive spectator in my life. I'm going to really own and just see this thing through. That's a great truth. The opposite of that truth. Ownership looks like surrender. Like giving things up. We call that paradox. 
When you have two truths that feel like they're opposites, working together, to driving us to the same thing. Listen to how Jesus lived in paradox, how he lived a surrendered life. The first way we can see his surrender is this, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He does not say, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd comes into a room and yells at his sheep. What are you doing? Do it like this! That's not ownership in the way of Jesus. Ownership in the way of Jesus starts with surrender. How do I lead? Well, first, I take on the form of a servant. I give up. But that surrender flows out of a surrendered life. Look with me in verse uh, 17. This is worth brewing a cup of tea and taking a long walk to think about this. The reason my Father loves me, this is Jesus talking about God the Father, is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down my life of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I receive from the Father. What's happening there? Hear Jesus talking about paradox? He says the word authority a couple times. I have authority here. I have ownership. I'm laying down my life. No one's forcing me to do that. I'm doing that. And then what's he saying? I received this command from the Father. Obedience. Surrender to the Father. The relationship that spreads this out. If we're going to be people who encounter frustrations, things that bother us, seeing the world as it should not be and getting really worked up about that, the next step is surrender. God, what, here's what I'm seeing. I place that at your feet. What do you want me? That's how Jesus lived. He lived a surrendered life with his Father. The first step in Christian ownership is not to get big. To get loud. To just yell and demand. That's a different kind of ownership. If you were around in the 80s and 90s, I was too. There was a movement, there was a movement called the religious right. And the religious right saw things that they're like, ah, I don't like the way this is. Society's not going the way I'd like it. And so what they did was they pursued power. They pursued power and authority. And now you can find books from architects of that movement saying, yeah, we missed it. We missed it. We chased after power. Guess what? We got it and we really liked it. And we just drifted. Ownership. Seeing things that aren't as they should be. And then say, okay, I'm going to jump in. Starts with a surrendered posture. God, I see this. Am I seeing this right? God, this doesn't feel right. Why does this feel icky? Those types of questions are the first step toward ownership. Not getting big. If giving up is the first step of ownership, I hope you don't hear me say then, ownership in the way of Jesus is passive. There's nothing passive about the ownership Jesus is talking about. Give up may be the first step, but step up is the second step. If we're, gonna, if we're going to follow Jesus and not be passive with the things in our life that aren't as they should be, we start surrendered, and then we move to stepping up. Look at, look at what Jesus says. This is where he starts comparing the hired hands and the good shepherd. Verse 13. The hired hand runs away. Why? Because he's hired. And he cares nothing for the sheep. Passivity 
Passivity makes promises it cannot keep. Passivity is like, oh my gosh, I see a conflict here. I have two co-workers and I'm friendly with both of them. And one co-worker thinks we should make this higher. The other co-worker thinks that would be a terrible mistake. And they come to me and say, what should we do? I'm like, ugh. You know, you guys are great. Woohoo. Can we just can we just say that's a great decision, that's a great decision? I don't But to actually say, no, no, I, I think we should do this can be scary. What if one of them doesn't like us? Passivity says, like, hey, let's get them both to like us by just bowing out. I I don't know. I, I, this is just a, a, a legitimate question. Does that work? Like, can passivity truly create intimacy? In the way of Jesus, it cannot. That doesn't mean, please, 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 we are not, we are not called to solve every problem we see. Need does not equal calling. If that were true, you'd never make it to church in the morning. On your way here, you drove by dozens of needs. Dozens of complex needs that would get you spun out for years just trying to understand those things. Need doesn't equal calling. But when there are those holy discontent, when it becomes like a burr in your saddle, have you heard that? What's the one about the craw? I was trying to think of that. Like, the craw. What is it? A stick in your craw? Stuck in a craw? When it becomes that, when you just can't shake it, when you're marooned in your cortex, when you're stuck in your head about these problems, Jesus, what might you be inviting me to step into? I mean, this happens all the time as a staff. As a, as a pastoral staff, there are so many things where Luke will come in, Marshall will come in, but this is crazy. And I, my emotions about it are like a two. Like, yeah, that is crazy, but they're like a six. What happens there? Well, maybe God's inviting you to do that. See, like, passivity is terrible, but so is like over-ownership. I think they call it compassion fatigue, where you just see so many problems and they're out of your control, you're trying to fix them. That's not, that's not what we're talking about by stepping up. We're saying, what is Jesus specifically inviting us into? Passivity can't create intimacy, and it causes a lot of destruction. It causes only destruction in this passage. Look at what happens uh, in verse 12. The hired hand, not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, what happens? He abandons the sheep. Well, then what happens? Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. What's this guy trying to avoid? Destruction. What does passivity create? More destruction. Passivity writes checks it can't cash. That's kind of like a debit card for everybody under 30. Like, if you spend your debit card and there's no money on it, it bing, bing, bing. All right? That's passivity. Not able to do that. That's not what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us to give up. Say, God, why is this on my heart? What's on my heart, God, that you're putting there? How do I step up into that? How do I don't want to be passive. I'm seeing this for a reason. How do I step up? Well, step number three that Jesus invites us into is to back up. To back up as we step up. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And they know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus' ownership. as he's, He was sent by the Father on a rescue mission for us. 
And that ownership comes out of a deep relationship with the Father. This is a mystery. I don't have the answer for it. But when Jesus says, the reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life, I'm like, what? Doesn't he like love you because you're his son? I don't fully understand that. And sometimes with the Bible, I had to let things hang out in the air. Like, I don't get it. Here's what's clear to me about that passage, though. This rescue mission Jesus is on came out of a deep relationship with his Father. Intimacy. When God shows up in our lives to give us resources, those resources are always relational. God is a relational God, and his presence changes things. Jesus says, just like I know God the Father, I have intimacy with God. I know my sheep like that. And they hear my voice. That's so very important. Sometimes I read these uh, articles by Christians, these like really nerdy scholarly articles, and one of the things that they say, it just drives me crazy. They'll be like, the Lord told me such and such. And then they'll like make a caveat. Now, I didn't hear an audible voice. And it's like, I don't need you to say that. Like, why did you feel the need to say that? When God speaks to us, just a, just a quick primer on when God speaks to you. We were made for a relationship with God, and he speaks to you. Some of us are just bad at discerning the voice of the Lord, but he speaks to all of us. When people say, God spoke to me, when I use that phrase, I'm not saying I heard, Craig, yeah? Here's what we're doing today. Cancel your 10 o'clock meeting and go out to Eagle's Bluff. I'm like, okay, you got it, Lord. That's crazy. All right, crazy people hear those things. That's not what we're talking about. But where does your attention go? Where, what, what do you know? That's God speaking to you. What is God putting on my heart? What do I love? He's in me. He's, he's directing. And I'm just open to the Spirit's leading. That's hearing the voice. That's hearing God's voice. God, what, what do I love? What are my passions? God, what are, what are you putting on my heart? Where's my attention going? Dallas Willard said that's a deeply relational, that's hearing God just like your friend comes up to you and points out something to you. That's the way we hear God. It's deeply relational. That's why we need to back up. Ownership starts with relationship. And, our, and God is not a silent partner in this relationship. He hasn't left us on his own. The founding fathers were wrong. God didn't set a clock and then just leave it I'll be back in a few thousand years. He's actively involved in his creation. He puts things on your heart. He, you notice things. And when we back up, we see things from his perspective in relationship. So we got to give up. We got to step up. We got to back up. And we got to show up. Jesus, talking about this analogy of a shepherd, makes the point that shepherding is not just about one person following Jesus. Shepherding is not just, he's, it's not just one individual. It's not just me and my relationship with Jesus. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The rescue mission Jesus is involved in is to bring together a people. A flock, a collective. As we talk about ownership, yes, there are things that you must do alone. That's another paradox of the Christian life. You must do things alone. Like what? Dying. Nobody's going to be there. 
You are going to, I mean, I don't mean in the room with you. But when you die, you will step into the presence of God alone. Aging. Yeah, it's nice to have people around you as you age. But your mind slipping, that's an individual thing. We were made for solitude. We were also made for community. Paradox. Two opposite truths. Jesus is saying this. You're hearing my voice. I'm calling you into ownership. And you're going to do that as a people. You're not doing it alone. We're not alone as we do this. You heard Troy say it. We've said it before. Our goal by mid-spring is that 75% of you be involved in a connection group. Why? So we can report that to higher-ups in Minnesota who run the denomination and we can be like, woohoo, we're such a huge success story. I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen at all. We don't report to anybody really like that. We genuinely believe in what we're doing around here. It's coming from conviction. It's coming from the heart. And we genuinely believe that we can do things in community we can't do on our own. Especially things like ownership. When someone says, God's called me to do this, a great and healthy next step is surrounding others to be like, do you see this? Is this what God's called me to do? And then we're open to correction and editing. That happens in connection group. That happens not on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is casual. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, like it, it would be like what, me walking into like, some of you are like master crafts people. You have like tools and like saws I've never even heard of. I'm like, I just thought there was a table saw. You're like, I have 80 saws. Wow. That would be like me walking into your workshop and just grabbing things. and be like, ow, this hurts. You're terrible. It's like, wait, what? You don't know what you're doing. You're just grabbing things. What are you doing? That's like that. That's like that when we, when we do things outside of community. Well, I know how things are. This is the way it should be. And other saints who've been around a little longer can be like, oh, we've seen this before. Have you, have you thought about this perspective? Man, we affirm that. God is doing a work in you. I'm not here to be a wet towel. I'm not here to be like, oh man, flame. Wait, someone grab the wet towel. Let's put it out. We're here to fan that flame. But we're here to also edit and offer adjustments along the way. Because we can be dangerous on our own. We think we can see the whole, the whole chessboard. And we only see parts of it. Showing up. Connection. Community. Opens us up. To, to see our ownership through to greater levels. That's why we believe in connection groups. That's why we show up. Ooh, the last up. Oh, I wish it wasn't in here. I truly do. Because I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I would be a big fan of passivity if we didn't have a good shepherd. It's like, yeah, the world is a mess. Sure hope somebody's going to do something. I'm going to just be over here reading and drawing and I really like tea. I'll drink some tea. Good thoughts. The last up of ownership. Speak up. Speak up. What has God put on your heart that you need to say? The hard thing about speaking up, once a word leaves your mouth, you don't know what it's going to do. 
You can work so very hard. You can be the most careful community. You can walk across a tightrope on eggshells while just affirming everybody around you and offend everyone. There is no, there is no silver bullet for not offending people. Jesus, I like to remind us, Jesus didn't win over all 12 of his disciples. What does that mean? That means that not everyone that heard Jesus was like, wow, big fan, love it, need some more of that. No, one person's like, don't love it. So why do we think we can win over everybody in our lives? Some people may not like it when we speak up. Look at what Jesus says. What happened to Jesus? The Jews, that's, the, that's John's way of saying the religious leaders. The religious leaders who heard these words were divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Listen on. Others said, these aren't the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? To put it into the words of the great Rick Rubin, good art splits the room. When we live out of our convictions, when we say, oh man, this is what God's inviting me into, this is what I own, I'm rocking and rolling with this. We need to be prepared that it splits the room. Someone after the first service said, there should be a sixth up and it should be break up. <laughs> like, woof. Sometimes when we speak up, it gives us consequences we don't want. What do we do with that? Does that mean we did it wrong? Does that mean God has abandoned us? That he doesn't love us? Even that, God can use for good. After this, we get to John, we get to some of the, the tension of their, the conflict around the, the room being split. Then Lazarus gets raised, and then, the, then they really are like, we're going to kill this guy. Jesus splits the room, and then what does he do with that splitting? Look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. What they intended for evil, God intended for good. We may not like the way things are going, and when we speak up, oh boy... But like, for those of us in the room who are parents, it, it, there can be a lot of tension raising children and having parents. And please, I am not taking a side this morning. I'm not taking a side. I was listening to the comedian Pete Holmes, and he was talking about, he was at an amusement park with his child, and they had their hands around his throat, and he's choking. He's like, ah! And like, get off. And he said, I took her off of me. I put her on the ground. And then I sincerely apologized for being choked. He's like, and I meant it. And I meant it. And then he said, though, he just fantasized after that moment, though, about like a Dickensian ghost. You know, like someone from like a Christmas carol. Like Charles Dickens' ghost showing up and being like, Pete Holmes's daughter, let me take you back in time to all the times Pete Holmes's father apologized to him. Come, come. And he takes her to this dark void. And the daughter says, well, I thought there was going to be apologies here. That's exactly right. This is exactly the number of times Pete's dad apologized to him. Ooh. <laughs> when one generation passes the baton to another generation, 
beautiful. And we call what happens next tension. I have, I am one trying to raise my kids differently than I was raised. I have a friend who's watching his kids raise their kids differently than he raised those kids. I'm empathetic to both sides. But imagine, imagine for a second a conversation between those two parties where the grandparents lovingly try to step in and say, hey, I love you. I affirm you. Not all discipline is toxic. I don't know if you need to be apologizing that your kid choked you. I'm not aware of a situation where that's been received like this. Oh my gosh. I see it now. That's so helpful. <laughs> I love that. So wait, let me just, let me just, I want to put it back to you in your own words. You're saying you parent differently than me. Oh, that's so life-giving and thank you. <laughs> or imagine it the other way. Imagine it the other way. Or it's like, hey, I send the grandkids over to the grandparents and they get yelled at. So I sit down with the grandparents, hey, mom and dad, there's a lot of good things you've done in my growing up. I'm really grateful for the sacrifices you made as a parent. But the way you parented me, oh, is awful. We don't yell in this house. That's scary. And so could you please not yell? Again, can you imagine the response being like, oh, love you, son. Bring it in. If that's been your experience, please adopt me. Speaking up splits the room. And passivity is our best option if we don't have a good shepherd. One who says, you can step into this brokenness. You may not get it right, but I'm with you. And you hear my voice. I'm not going to let you go. Oh, and it can take us to scary places too. The man on the left is Robert Smith, Jr. He's a seminary professor at Beeson Divinity School in Alabama. The man on the right is his son, Tony. Robert was, I think, working one night when he got a call. It was a terrible call. Something happened to Tony at work. Tony was a chef. He wasn't supposed to be working that night. I think the Texas Rangers were playing the San Francisco Giants. He was supposed to be watching the World Series with his grandmother. But instead, a chef at his restaurant called in and he had to go in and work. And it was a slow night. He was frustrated. Ah, so he goes in and works. He's got headphones in. He's in the back of the kitchen working. When three young men come in to rob the place. Tony is in the back and he doesn't hear because he's got headphones in. They come get Tony because nobody's in the front. That's terrifying. They bring him out to the front to the register. Tony doesn't know how to work the register. He's a chef. And then he's trying to just get it open and it jams. And one of the young men who is high in ecstasy shoots Tony. Kills him. Tony was literally killed for nothing. 34 years old. His life ended. Robert gets that call, devastated. 
said it was the most helpless he'd felt. A few months later, being a seminary professor, Robert was teaching the Bible to pastors overseas in Nairobi, Kenya, when he felt the Spirit speak to him. And the Spirit asked him this, do you believe in forgiveness? Robert says, yeah, I do. Do you believe forgiveness creates beautiful things in the world? I do, yeah. Robert, what if you forgave the young man who killed your son? Uh, we're at church, but we're not going to get churchy. I got three little boys. Someone murdered them. I am not that person's cheerleader. I'm not like, hooray, I forgive you. Oh, that would take me a while to get there. When the reality sets in, you're never going to hear their voice again. When you're going through your house, you find shoes. You don't need those shoes. There's no feet going in these shoes. I want you to hear Robert's own words as he said this. I knew forgiveness was something I need to do, but not out of duty, but really out of delight. I say that only because I think you have to get inside the heart of a person before something like that could become real. I had to see the situation, remember the courtroom, see the young man handcuffed on his way to a 15-year sentence, revisit my son's death. Then I thought about Jesus, what he went through for me. I know that I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. I've committed infraction after infraction, fallen short. I realized what God had done to forgive me. I lost Tony, but not willfully. God himself planned for the death of Jesus. Abraham came within a second of killing his son, but God stopped. But God let the knife con come down on Good Friday, on his own son. He didn't stop. When I think about that, oh my goodness, then it's an experience. It's an encounter that touches my heart. And here's what I want you to hear from Robert Smith Jr., the Spirit gives me the ability to do what I don't want to and what I couldn't do. Then it becomes a delight to participate in what God has already done, forgiving the one who committed an infraction against me. There are things we are not capable of doing and don't want to do, that ownership will take us to. And if we didn't have a good shepherd, passivity would be a really good option. When Robert Smith started writing letters to the man in jail, the 17-year-old who killed his son, he didn't hear back for a while. So he started writing back. Then he learned the reason he didn't hear back was because the young man was afraid that people in prison might know Tony and find out what he had done. So he just was like, he thought that the dad was trying to like gaslight him, was trying to get prisoners to beat him up. So he didn't know what to do. He was terrified. He finally started writing back. And you know what they learned about each other? They, that this young man grew up in a church that Robert Smith knew well. Grew up in church. 
He just made one wrong, he was with the wrong crowd, the wrong time, took the wrong drug, found himself in the wrong place. I'm not a scared straight person. I don't resonate with that movement. But yikeroonies, that'll scare you straight. And the Spirit of God was able to empower empathy and movement. And Robert was able to respond with the character of Jesus. Now, if we don't have a good shepherd, that's insane. I would never ask any of you to take a step toward that. But we have a good shepherd who when he sees a wolf coming, doesn't grab you and throws you in front of the wolf. We have a good shepherd who when he sees danger, lays down his life. It doesn't solve all the mystery, but it says maybe I can start with giving up. Maybe I can start with surrender and work my way towards speaking up. Father in heaven, we need your help. Passivity is a good option if we don't have a good shepherd, but we do. We do have a good shepherd. God, I pray that your spirit would help us to ask the questions. What's frustrating me? What have you put on my heart? What's in my path? What's mine to own? And where are you in that process? Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.